Well, would you turn your Bibles with me to Revelation 21? And if you are able to, would you continue standing? Revelation 21. We'll begin reading in verse 1. It's the conclusion of our Advent series, which should have concluded a couple of weeks ago, but a lot has happened since then. But hey, we are talking about the second advent of Christ. So I guess it's fitting. Uh, the second coming of Jesus here in Revelation 21 as, uh, as we uh, look at this chapter here in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. God's word says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be with will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Thank you very much. You may be seated. And as you're taking a seat, just a reminder of what we were planning on doing for the Advent series was we were looking at sort of the the major movements of Scripture. We saw the first major movement being creation, right, where God spoke and the world was created. Then the next major movement we saw was the fall, the fall into sin, where Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, they they disobeyed God. They rebelled against him. And so with that fall into sin, sin entered into the world. And then we saw in that very same chapter, in Genesis chapter 3, we saw that God had promised redemption. In Genesis three fifteen through 17, we see the promise that he would one day send someone who would crush the head of Satan. And so that third major movement is the movement of redemption. And all the rest of the scriptures from Genesis 3 all the way through to the end are unpacking that theme, that idea, that major movement of redemption and salvation that's ultimately found in Jesus. And today we come to the final major movement that we see in Scripture of being the new creation. So we see creation, fall, redemption, and new creation, which is going to take place in eternity. So with that in mind, let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now, and God, we thank you for your word. Your word that shows us of how we can have hope in the midst of a world that is broken. We can have hope because, Father, you did not leave us in our sins. But you promised redemption through your son, Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, you have also promised life, eternal life, to those who trust in your Son, in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, I ask that you be glorified now through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess Christ as Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last few months leading up to the beginning of the new year and also uh, leading up to Christmas, we were bombarded with all kinds of commercials, commercials that were promising uh, new things, new uh, technology, new cars, uh, and then as you move on from Christmas, you begin to get into a new year, right? And you have resolutions, and a lot of people often, what do they want to do in the new year? They want to have a, uh, a new workout routine or something like that. And so we've seen over the last couple of months all of these promises of something new. A new car, a new job, a new exercise machine, a new you. Uh, the only problem with all of those promises for newness is that newness will not last. But here in Revelation chapter 21, at the end of all things, we see the end, it happens, and it happens to be the ending of the old, and the new has come. A newness that will never go away. This newness that is described here in Revelation 21 is going to be for all eternity. And so as we look at our text this morning in Revelation 21 verses 1 through 8, we're going to see that the blessings of the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to see in this text that, that believers, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're going to see is they're going to experience the new heavens and the new earth, living in personal and unhindered fellowship with God, where we are going to no longer experience the devastating effects of sin, and we're going to see all of the promises of God come to full fruition. And you know, friends, inside of every single one of us, there is this sort of longing for a peaceful place, a place really to call home, a, a longing for a place where we can belong. But the thing is, is you can search the entire world and you, you can live your entire life and still be looking for that home. But here in our passage this morning in Revelation 21, we see the home, our eternal and true home that we were made for and the one that you are truly longing. And so as we look at, at verses 1 and 2, one of the, the first blessings of this home is that we're going to experience, believers, we will experience the new heavens and the new earth. Here, John, he begins to describe this home that we were made for, this home where we will experience the new heavens and the new earth. We see in verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You know, notice there, the word he uses is this new heavens. The, the first heaven and the first earth has removed, has been removed. And, and along with its removal is now the devastating effects of sin have been eliminated. And this world has been made new. A world that is new. A world without sin or the effects of sin. Too long for that world. 
You know, it's always fascinating to me when we see how the world or, or, or the media around us tries to create their own sort of new heavens and new earth here and now. Whether it be in the form of some TV show or, or a promising new housing development or maybe it be in some politician who promises change or promises greatness and it's going to be perfect and society is going to be a sort of utopian society. But the reality is there will be no perfect society here on earth. No matter the amount of money, the amount of resources or political promises made, there will be no perfect society here on earth. Why? Well, because there's one problem, right? and it's a big problem. It's the problem of sin. As we saw in the very beginning, right? God created the world. It was perfect. But what happened? The fall into sin. Where Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And so sin entered into this world. So we're never going to have a perfect city. We're never going to have a perfect society. We're never going to have a perfect country. Why? Because we have all rebelled. And we have all sinned against God. There is still sin at work in this world. There is sin at work in our own nature and in our own lives. And so we see this beautiful promise here of newness. A new heaven and a new earth. And you know, friends, it's a beautiful picture that John describes here. The new heavens and the new earth, eternity is not going to be some sort of personal space that you have up in the clouds where you just sit there and maybe play a harp for all eternity. No, no, no. That's far too low a view of eternity. It's a new heavens and a new earth. Notice it's not just heaven. Friends, if you have trusted in Christ, your eternity with God is not going to be in heaven. It's a new heavens and it's a new earth. Everything will be made new. Now, don't take that out of context of saying that I'm not that, that Pastor Greg said, oh, we're not going to spend eternity in heaven. No, no. Understand what I'm what I'm what, what we see here. It's not just a new heaven. It's a new heavens and a new earth, a completely made new universe. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's going to be far greater than, than anything we could ever imagine. You know, friends, even the, the greatest places that we have here, the, the greatest homes we have here uh, on this earth, they're just a faint echo of the one to come. You know, the Garden of Eden was a great place, as we saw when God created it. Can you imagine a, a, a beautiful garden, a beautiful place without sin? But, you know, Adam and Eve there, they only knew God as their creator. And it's often been said, as believers in the new heavens and the new earth, we're not just going to know God as our creator, but we're also going to know him as our redeemer. And so this is a new heavens and a new earth where everything is new. The old is gone. It has passed away. Too long for a home like that. But we see as well this interesting phrase at the end of verse 1 as well. You see that there? It says what? The sea was no more. Now, something we have to understand when we read the book of Revelation, it's a highly symbolic book. There are all sorts of symbols that are going on. that doesn't always equal a one-to-one -one reality with, with, with what we see in the physical world. 
is highly symbolic. So does this mean then that in that new heavens and new earth that there's going to be no sea, there's going to be no ocean? That's probably not what this vision is describing. That's probably not what that vision means. Because if you were to turn to Revelation chapter 4, you would see that there is a sea of crystal before the throne of God. So it likely does not mean that there's no bodies of water in the new heavens and the new earth. Rather, we have to understand that there's a lot of imagery that's taking place here. And the sea for the, the, the Israelites, especially the sea represented chaos. It represented disorder. It represented rebellion. The Hebrews of the Old Testament, they, they, they were not a sea people. They saw the sea as something that was chaotic. And often you look in the Old Testament and, and you see the Old Testament uses the sea to represent chaos. And actually, in Revelation itself, if you were to look at Revelation 13.1, you see that the beast, who is representing the devil and representing evil, does what? Comes from where? Comes out of the sea. But in the new heavens and the new earth, what's being described here is a place that does not have that evil. So what John is describing here is he's describing a world without chaos. A world without rebellion, a world without destruction. Picture that, friends. A world without murder. A world without war. A world without plagues and diseases and disasters. No evil and no devil. Too long for a place like that. For a home like that. So we see the, the first thing that, that, that comes about in the, in the new heavens and new earth, this next move of, of the story of redemption that we have in the Bible of the new creation, the first blessing is that, is that we get to experience the newness of the new heavens and the new earth. But also, we're going to see in verse 3 that we will also live in personal fellowship with God. That's one of the blessings of the new heavens and the new earth. It's not just that we get to experience the newness, a world without chaos, but also that we get to live in a personal fellowship, in personal relationship with God. Look at me at verse 3. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So, friends, we must understand that the greatest blessing of the new heavens and the new earth is, is not simply a world that has an absence of sickness. Rather, the, the greatest blessing is that we will have an unhindered and personal fellowship with God. John Piper, I, I, I know I've read this quote before, but I think this is so helpful in, in, in thinking about the greatness and the blessing of having this personal fellowship with God. He says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness... And with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus were not there? Friends, the question to ask ourselves, if we could have all of these benefits of the new heavens and the new earth, a world without sin, a world without sickness, a world without death, a world without aches and pains, would we still want that newness if we didn't have Christ now too? 
Would you still want all of those things? But not have Christ, would you still want it? Would you still long for that home? Friends, do you love God for his gifts? Or do you love him for who he is? Would you want to be in heaven simply for the benefits? Because you love Christ and you get to be in unhindered fellowship with him. Brothers and sisters, the greatest gift, the greatest gain that we get from the gospel is that we gain Christ. The greatest gift that we gain when we come to trust in Jesus and place our faith in him. The greatest gift we get is him. It is who he is and what he has done. The, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, the greatest gain that we get is that we gain Jesus. I, I, I love the hymn, uh, I'd Rather Have Jesus. We were supposed to sing that a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was supposed to preach this sermon, but that didn't happen. <laughs> but I love the line of, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Would you truly rather have Jesus? than all of the blessings of the new heavens and earth. Do you really love God for who he is, or do you simply just love him for the blessings you think he can give? There's a world of difference between the two. And, and the language that, 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 that is being used here of God dwelling with them and God being with them as their God, it, it's the language that we see in the Old Testament, right? The language of Emmanuel. In verse 3, we see that, that God's dwelling place is with his people. It, 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 actually, the word used there for dwelling among his people is the same word that's used for the tabernacle. God is tabernacling among his people. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 1. It says that he will dwell. Literally, God will tabernacle among his people. Similar to what John writes in John chapter 1. He will dwell among his people. So the greatest blessing that we get in the new heavens and the new earth is that we get to experience unhindered, unbroken fellowship with God. But when we move on to verse 4, we also see another blessing is that we'll no longer experience the devastating effects of sin. Look at me at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What a wonderful blessing. Yes, the greatest blessing is that we get to be with God. But look at what else this entails. It entails that God has, it, it, we will no longer experience those effects of sin. And by eliminating all of the effects of sin, of, of tears and death and mourning and crying and pain, what we see God doing there is he is reversing the curse of sin. In my own personal devotions right now, I'm reading through the Gospels. And what you see happening all throughout the Gospels is you see Jesus constantly curing and healing people. And those miracles that Jesus is performing in the Gospels, in his ministry, they give us a glimpse of what eternity is going to be like without sin, and without the devastating effects of sin, without disease, without death, without sickness. We will one day see the effects of sin completely reversed. And, and, you know, we live now in a world that is surrounded by the devastating effects of sin every day, right? Even, 
even more so over the last couple of years, right? Where we're constantly bombarded with, with all of these numbers of people who have tested positive or, 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 or who are passing away due to sickness and death. We're surrounded by the devastating effects of sin every day. I mean, friends, we only need to hear the prayer requests that we prayed about this morning at Sunday school or the prayer requests that we have on Wednesday nights to be reminded and to understand that this world is broken by sin. But friends, our prayer requests that we have point us, actually, they should point us to the new heavens and the new earth. Where we don't pray without hope. Where even if what we pray for today does not come about, we still have hope. Why? Because God has not failed, nor will he ever fail. You understand that? Our, our prayer requests are meant to be a reminder of the devastating effects of sin that we live in the midst of today. But one day, those effects will be gone. So when you get news that you have cancer or or that a brother or sister in Christ that has a terminal illness, John is showing us here, that's not the end. We have hope because one day, sin and sickness and death will, will be no more. We have hope because Jesus has defeated sin and death. Friends, don't you long for, don't you long to, to no longer experience the devastating effects of sin? Don't you long to wake up in the morning and, not feel pain, or, or to not get messages of brokenness and sadness that is happening around you. You know, the redemption that we see promised, we saw promised a, a couple of weeks ago in Genesis 3 that God would send a deliverer one day. That redemption that, that was spoken of there in Genesis 3 and unpacked throughout the entirety of the Bible, that redemption is as far-reaching as sin. And it's devastating the, the hymn that we sing at Christmas time, you'll notice that it's the one we sing the most. Anybody know which one that is? It's Joy to the World. Because I love that song because in that song, there's a line that Jesus has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So those blessings that Jesus has, 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 has secured for us, they're seen and they're realized at the new creation. So friends, understand this. The blessings of redemption isn't only about our salvation, which would be enough, right? That we're saved from the punishment due our sins. But the, the blessings of the redemption that's promised in the Bible goes even further than that. And it's seen in God creating a new heavens and a new earth. So that redemption goes further than just salvation. But it, it goes even so far as to say that all of the curse of sin will be no more. So we will no longer experience the devastating effects of sin. And as we look at verses five, uh, verse five down to verse eight, we also will see God's promises come to full fruition. One of the blessings of being with him for all eternity is that we're going to see all of God's promises come to pass. Notice the promises that God makes here in these verses. He, he, he makes three promises in verses 5 through 8. We see the promise of newness. We see the promise of truth. And we see the promise of it is being done. So new, true, and done. Sorry, I couldn't rhyme that last one. 
but I tried. But what we see here is, look at this promise here. Behold, I am making all things new. That promise of newness, it's going to be new. There's going to be a newness that will not fade, that will not break. It will not deteriorate. It will not come from, it will not deteriorate from the effects of sin because sin and death will be no more. We also see that God promises that this is true. You see, he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, God's promises are true and they are trustworthy. And really what we have happening here in, in, in verses one through eight in this whole section is we have a number of promises that, that have been promised in the Old Testament. They're all coming to pass. What we see happening in verses one through eight is there's just a number of promises that you see promised in the Old Testament fulfilled. What we see is God keeps his word. You know, we saw a couple of weeks ago that God promised he would send a redeemer, right? In Genesis 3. To crush the head of Satan. And he did in sending Jesus to this earth to save us from our sins. So God is, his word is true and his word is trustworthy. But notice what else he says. It is done. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be I will be his God and he will be my son. And then he goes on in verse eight and describes what's going to happen to those who do not repent of their sins. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second Friends, these promises that God makes here to his people and the promise here of destruction of God's enemies, they are certain. It is just as certain as the past breath you just took. He says, it is done. It is set in place that these things will happen. And God can do this because we see in verse 6, it says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha, first letter of the Greek uh, alphabet. Omega, the last letter of, of, the, of the Greek uh, alphabet. It's like God saying, I'm the A to the Z. The one true God stood before the world's beginning and he will stand at its end while making all things new. And notice what else God is going to do. See that he promises the water of life and he promises that we will conquer. He says, I will uh, he says to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. So God says to the thirsty, I'm going to give water to the one who conquers. I will give this blessed relationship of being my son. So those who drink freely from the water of life, they will conquer. And the theme of conquering is an important theme throughout the book of Revelation. Those who conquer have not given in to the beast, the serpent, the dragon, haven't given in to, to the devil, haven't given in to idolatry of the world seen all throughout this book. And look at the blessing of the heritage that they receive. It says, I will be his God and he will be my son. In the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel 7, God promised to David that his offspring, his heir, would be God's son. 
Also in the Old Testament, you have Israel described as the Son of God. And the New Testament, Jesus is the Son of God. And now all those who belong to Jesus through faith in Him are sons of God as well. That relationship, that covenantal relationship that God promised to Israel and He promised to David's descendant belongs to all those who are a part of the people of God through faith in Christ. So there's this blessing of sonship, this blessing of relationship. And we also see that God has quenched their thirst. The, the river of the, the, from the river of life in, in 22 in Revelation 22 verse 1, it speaks of the river of life flowing out from the throne of God. It's imagery describing salvation and eternal life coming from the one true God. And notice what he says about it. He says they will drink freely. It's free. No amount of money can buy you that. Thirsting for God. Do you thirst for God? And that means that you thirst for the things of God, for righteousness, for holiness, for justice. If you do not thirst for him, then you thirst for the things of the world. And we see where that leads in verse eight, right? If you don't thirst for God, then you thirst for the things of verse eight. Cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Do you thirst for those things? It shows us where that leads. We've seen these four blessings that, that, that we receive in the new heavens and the new earth. But there's a warning here as well. Contrasted to the new heavens and the new earth, where believers will experience the, the newness. Contrasted to the unhindered fellowship with God that, 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 that believers experience. Contrasted to to believers no longer experiencing the devastating effects of sin, contrasted to believers seeing God's saving promises come to pass, contrasted to all of those blessings, there is this warning for those who do not trust in Jesus. Their inheritance is found in the lake of fire, which is the second death. In other words, all those who do not repent of their sins will end up in hell for eternity described as a lake of fire you know friends there are many who live as if this world is their final home and at the end of the day friends where do you find your comfort what do you thirst for what do you long for is it your retirement account to always be in the green and going up is it for your work is it for knowing that you have a job? What do you long for? It's shown by what you live for and what you pursue. My friends, what are you pursuing in this life? What is your life marked by? Is it marked by this cowardless, this cowardice, this faithlessness, this sexual immorality? Or is it marked by a holy pursuit of Christ and a thirsting for the things of God? Friends, don't you long for a world that's free of sin? that's free of temptation, that's free of death. The world we live in now is not our final home because this world needs to be transformed by God at the end for it to finally be home. Friends, what we see in this passage here is that following Jesus is worth it. I mean, listen, do you not see the way that, 
the new heavens and new earth is described. No more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, nor pain. And we get to be with Jesus. Following him in the midst of this broken world is worth it. Listen as well to this promise that, 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 that Isaiah describes in Isaiah 35 verse 10. He's describing the end. He says, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That promise in Isaiah 35 verse 10 is now seen and realized in Revelation 21. So in a world that's full of evil and sin, idolatry and greed and selfishness and injustice and hate and sexual immorality, there's hope. And friends, John shows us there is hope because there's an eternity that waits with the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the new heavens and the new earth. The book of Revelation, despite some of its incredibly hard-to-understand imagery, it's meant to give us hope, hope to live for God's glory, despite the world's vainglory all around us. This world, as it is now, cannot be our final home. It cannot be our final hope. It needs to be made new. This world as it is now needs to be transformed. Because it will not sustain us for all eternity. In November, I got to go on my first cruise. And I think I shared with some of you how hooked I am on cruising. Not at, not at all right now, after some of the horror stories I'm hearing. But cruise ships are not meant to be lived in, right? And sustain life. They have to go to port and constantly offload all of the junk and garbage, right? In a similar way, this world as it is now is not meant to be our final home. It's not meant to fulfill your longing for home. And, and until you realize that, and until you realize that Christ died for your salvation to bring you to this home, you'll never have peace on this earth. In the words of the great theologian from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Tumnus, it will be always winter and never Christmas. There will never be peace. And so, friends, as we come into something new in this new year, let's not forget this hope that we have. And let's see this hope in God and being with Him for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's see this hope that we have be a motivation to share the good news of Jesus Christ. How he lived the perfect life. How he died on the cross and how he rose from the dead. And how through faith in him, there is life, eternal life, with him for all eternity. So let's share that good news. Let's commit to sharing that good news in this coming year. That there is a world that God has created us for. A world in which we get to live in unhindered fellowship with him for all eternity. So as we've been bombarded over the last couple months with commercials and advertisements for things that are new, the problem with those things is that they're not new enough. And that newness will not last. The new smell of a car will go away one day. Your new workout routine, I hope you stick through for the whole year, but that might not be as new at the end of the year as it is at the beginning of the year. The newness will not last. But here, these promises that God makes in Revelation 21, they will be eternal. 
and that will be greater than anything we can imagine. So friends, despite whatever, uh, whatever may come in this year ahead of us, we have something to look forward to. Something great, something glorious, something that's indescribable. A world without sin, a world without death, and all those who place their faith in Christ and have repented of their sins, we have a home that will not deteriorate, that will not break down, but one that will last for all eternity. A world without heartache, a world without objects. A world where everything is new, and there will be no death, and there will be no sin. Don't you long for the newness of the new heavens and new earth? Let that newness sustain you this year to serve the Lord faithfully. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, God, we thank you that even as we are faced with the devastating effects of sin in our own lives, whether it be giving in to our sinful nature or whether it be sickness, terminal illness. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have here in this text. How one day all of those things will be gone. And even as, as great as that truly is, the greatest blessing that we will get in the new heavens and new earth is you. An unhindered relationship with you. Lord, may we long for that day. And we, may we strive to be faithful to you in light of that day. May we strive to be faithful witnesses because of that coming day. Lord, we thank you for the blessings of the new creation. These blessings that are true and these blessings that will come to pass. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, in light of this newness, we'll continue in worship now through taking the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder, right, of the redemption that God promised in Jesus. It's a reminder of the new covenant that we now live under because of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. You know, Paul, when he gave these instructions, and Jesus, when he gave these instructions, said that we're to do this until he returns, right? So we're doing this in light of his return, where one day in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, we will be with him. We will sit with him. We will have that unhindered fellowship with him. Our, our statement of faith says this in regards to the Lord's Supper. It's a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church who partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. So, friends, what we're about to do here is remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us, how he died as our Redeemer on the cross, how he conquered sin and death, and how we anticipate and look forward to the day in which he will return. We also believe that this table is for sinners, right? Which is every single one of us. Sinners who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who've repented of their sins and turned and trusted in him. And we also believe as a church that this is for those who have followed Jesus with that first sort of initial step of obedience through baptism. 
Sometimes I get asked, why do we say that? Why do Baptists believe that you should be baptized before you take the Lord's Supper? Well, what's one of the first commands that Jesus gives us to obey him? It's to be baptized. And so that's why we think that baptism should precede the Lord's Supper. Because if we are not following him faithfully in that commandment, then we shouldn't be coming to this table. So if you have not been baptized, may you see this as a call to take that first sort of initial step to be baptized. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, see this as a call to follow him faithfully in this coming year of baptism. Again, this is not a table for those who are perfect. In fact, if you're coming to this table thinking you are perfect, you shouldn't be coming to this table. <laughs> because it's a reminder that we're sinners. But it's also a reminder that we have a great redeemer. He's going to make all things new. So this time I'm going to ask that uh, if you would come forward and, and, and grab these and make your way back uh, to your seats, uh, what we'll do is you'll come forward, you'll grab them, go back to your seat, and then I'll read for us and we'll take them together, okay? So let's go ahead. And, uh, is, does anybody need it brought to them? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. 